Everybody, welcome to Stuff Said, the show where I, Greg Schiegel, cartoonist person, talk about comics, cartooning, and more, sometimes with a guest or guests, sometimes all on my own. This episode is, like pre- the previous episode, a panel show, which is to say it is a recording of a panel from Heroes Con 2017, which is to say there are multiple guests. Uh, more on that in a bit. Uh, I do want to start off by saying this is the second time I'm recording this intro because I did the whole thing and GarageBand quit on me and I had not hit save. So I'm saying this all for the second time. I hope it has the same vim, vigor, punch, and power that it had the first time. Uh, I apologize if I sound like I've been down this road before. I'm going to do my best to not sound that way. All right, so about this panel, it was one I was uh, given to moderate. Given's the wrong word. I volunteered to moderate a panel. If they had a panel that needed a moderator, this is the one that I chose from a short list. This panel at the time was called Animation. That was the name of it. There were panelists on it, and uh, I, I got to the business of prepping for that panel. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. First some business this episode is coming out either august 31st or september 1st depending on how many times i have to record this intro uh we'll see what garage band is doing to me but that said let's talk about what's coming up first things first september 15th is the deadline for the pix super summer scavenger hunt contest you're saying wait what what is that what is the pix super summer scavenger hunt well Here's what this is. In Picks Volume 2, Two Super for School, the book I wrote, Andrew, that came out at a, from Image Comics in May of this year, 2017, there are Easter eggs abound. Somewhere in the artwork, sometimes in backgrounds, sometimes in dialogue, sometimes uh, elsewhere. That's Where else would it be? Anyway, tons of Easter eggs, and I've made a contest out of it. If you can find the most by September 15th and turn in your ballot, and you have found the most, the quickest, then you win a piece of art by me. More details on that at pixcomic.com, P-I-X-C-O-M-I-C.com slash hunt, H-U-N-T. There you can get your your form to fill out, where to send it, all that stuff. And there's two weeks. You can get in there, get the book, read it, scour it with your jeweler's loop, find all the stuff, and try to win. So that's September 15th. That's the deadline there. September 16th, I'll be part of the Children's Day programming at the Brooklyn Book Festival, brooklynbookfestival.org. I'm doing a panel at 1 o'clock called Adventure Awaits, moderating that one. I am participating in the Illustrator Smackdown. I have no idea what it is. I'm going in blind, gang. That's at 3 p.m. I don't know that I'll be able to record any of those things, so... It may not appear, as a stuff said, in the future. The following weekend, after the Brooklyn Book Festival, is Baltimore Comic Con. I will be there as part of the Kids Read Comics Pavilion. I also hope, in this month, to possibly put out one more, if not two more, episodes of this very show. GarageBand willing. Right, GarageBand? I'm looking at you, GarageBand. Okay. Uh more details of all this stuff here's what i recommend you do i recommend you go to any of my websites stuffsaidshow.com that's the website for this show pixcomic.com that's the website for my book picks my books plural there's two of them or hatterentertainment.com that's my uh hub website on all of those websites is a section where you can sign up for my email newsletter this is what this is on the first of every month you get an email from me i write the whole thing it's almost like a podcast but you can't hear it. You have to read it. In that newsletter, I pick a topic. I write about it. There are links to things. There are images. There's artwork. There's all this stuff. Sign up. If this episode came out on the 31st, sign up today. 
because you'll get a newsletter the next day, September 1st. If this episode came out on September 1st, sign up and you'll get one on October 1st. You see how this works? Uh, it's, 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 you know, it's simple math, gang. All right. Enough about all that. Let's get back to this panel. The panel consisted of the following panelists, who I introduced properly in the actual panel, but here's their names anyway. Sean Cheeks Galloway, Tom Bancroft, Bob Camp, and Scott Shaw. I say it like that because there's an exclamation point at the end of Shaw. Quick note about the audio. This recording is not as great as the recording from the last episode. I think uh, because of the varying ways or volumes of the speakers and how they manage their microphone technique, there's a lot of variance. I've done what I can to even that out, but I am only so capable. So I apologize in advance for any sort of um, high-low volume. Uh, I think I've evened it out okay, but it's gonna, it's not going to be perfect, and I apologize. But I think the conversation was a good one, a nice talk with a good mix of folks from the world of animation. So let's just get to it, and then we could talk about it uh, after the fact. Here we go. Animation from uh, Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina, 2017. Uh, hi everybody, welcome to Animation. Uh, my name is Greg Schiegel, I'm a cartoonist. I work on Spongebob comics and I work on the middle grade graphic novel series Picks over at Image Comics. You know David DeGrandis? I know of David DeGrandis, I've never met him. He's a hilarious He's guy. super talented. He used yeah. to write me letters when he was a little kid and send me drawings and stuff. Were they yeah. good? Well, they were just like he draws now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so you're saying he hasn't improved a lick. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Yeah. He's great now. Right. He's great now. Uh, I'm going to uh, introduce our illustrious panel, uh, pun accidentally intended, and uh, we're going to talk about animation. Uh, I have a series of uh, prompts and questions, and we're just going to have a, a nice chat, and it'll be a good time. You guys are ready to rock and roll, right? We, we like to have a good time. Absolutely. Fantastic. for this morning, so I'm ready. Fantastic. I'll start on the far left. Uh, we have uh, Scott Shaw, a cartoonist who writes and draws for animation, comic books, comic strips, advertising, and toy design. Welcome, Scott Shaw. Also, also the creator of Captain Carrot, which I think oh, should, yeah. should be a lovely credit. Uh, Don't tell DC. <laughs> uh, Bob Camp is the co-creator of Ren and Stimpy, a character designer, and uh, uh, maybe most impressive to me, a man who inked John Buscema. A lot of it. Yeah, which is, a lot of John Buscema. That's tremendous. I'd forgotten that. That was Conan stuff. Uh, no, I wasn't inking. I was doing finishes over his breakdowns. Even when he had a 78-page quota every month, so they were there wasn't a lot there. But if you don't know John Buscema, he basically wrote the book on how to draw comics. Literally, how to draw comics to Marvel way. Yeah, and that man got to put brush on his work. That's fantastic. He was a good inker himself. So he was. Yeah. Uh, Tom Bancroft is an animator, director, author, and instructor at Lipscomb University. Right? Yes. And uh, the co-host of the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast, which is a great podcast if you like hearing people talk about animation. Uh, and last but not least, Sean Cheeks Galloway is a character designer. Uh, you will know from Hellboy Animated, Spectacular Spider-Man, the Disney Infinity series, uh, and, and his comics and his uh, awesome illustrations. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I right into it. All right, so... <laughs> I looked into all of you. I did the research. Oh. So I have questions. We're going we're gonna to sort of bop around and cover some things. If you have something that you want to chime in on, it's a panel. We're, we're all rapping. So I'm going to start with you, Bob. Yeah. Uh, everybody knows about Ren and Stimpy. I feel like it's something you've probably talked about quite a bit. Yeah. But as a, as a kid who was watching cartoons in the 1980s, when I saw that you designed for Thundercats and Silverhawks and worked on Tiny Toons, uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. Sure. Uh, because Thundercats was awesome. And I want to know... Uh, hey, and so was Tiger Sharks. And it didn't get a, a good break because they, they shut the studio down before we did more. Tiger Sharks was part of the USA Cartoon Express. Comics true. Yeah, comic strip. That's yeah. it. And uh, we also we did we did Thundercats. No, we did uh, Tiger Sharks, Mini Monsters on this same show. Mini Monsters, Street Frogs, and Karate Cat. Right. And Street, Street Frogs, Frogs was the very first hip hop anything. Why didn't in, they call in, it hip hop te- on television? <laughs> huh? Why didn't they call it hip hop frogs? There was a gag right there. 
you know what? The, the, the guys who came up with this stuff were already in their 50s, and they listened to jazz. And I, 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 Can I tell you a quick story about Street Frogs? Absolutely. When we first started working on it, I had, I had already done three album covers, hip-hop album covers. I did the Renegades of Funk cover for Africa Bombada, Soul Sonic Force, and I did the first two album covers for Nucleus. And they're, they're very famous records, old-school hip-hop, you know. Uh, and so I'm kind of was in the hip hop scene. I was meeting with people. I knew Charlie Ahern who made Wild Style, and so this was going on. And I was seeing it, and I was sort of there. He's doing all the moves while he talks. About yeah, because I'm, I'm like all that. But anyway, so so um, uh, so they Rankin Bass. Most of the shows they did were either designed by Paul Coker Jr. from Mad Magazine or Jack Davis from Mad Magazine, and uh, so they. I designed the frogs first, and I made them kind of realistic looking. You know, they, they sort of, they had anatomy and stuff, and they were very posed, posed, and, and I drew them hip-hop, dancing, you know, all that stuff, and, and uh, they didn't like them. So they sent them to Paul Coker Jr., and he redesigned everything and sent back pictures of pimps and whores, you know. They had, like, like they had uh, big hats and big bell-bottoms and big shoes. Right. And, like, wow, Paul. So a true misunderstanding of, of You're, what hip-hop was. 70s kinda. It was yeah. very 70s, you know. Uh, we had a laugh out of that. But, uh, yeah, those, yeah. Were, those were cool shows. Nice. So Thundercats and, and uh, Silverhawks and... and uh, tiger, tiger sharks. Tiger sharks. Yeah. So those are all sort of of a of a, a, a structure, a pattern, right? Yeah. Especially tiger sharks and thundercats. Yeah. But in terms of character design, uh, can you just talk us through that assignment? How you uh, just how you approach those characters? Which characters you were specifically involved in? You know, uh, it was the studio was very small. Almost everything was done in Japan. All the storyboards, all the animation, and everything. There was a guy named Mike Jermakian who was an older guy who was the head designer. And he designed all the main characters. He did the logotypes. Uh, and he actually was, was uh, an ad man. And he really couldn't draw superheroes, so he had a template that he would trace. And he, he would do a body, and then he'd put the clothes on him. But uh, I did, you know, on Thundercats, I kind of mostly did... Uh, the stuff that he didn't want to do. Okay. You know, he's the only guy I ever met a character designer who got a piece of any any character he designed that was made into a toy. Oh, he got wow. merchandise. Can you imagine that? Wow. Well, he must have had a great, great agent or lawyer. Well, he's dead now. Oh, well. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> because the animation But I, I designed, I just, you know what, they, they would just say, okay, we need, they'd hand me the script and they'd circle the stuff, and I'd just do a bunch of drawings and I'd give them to them. Did you design the Robear Burbles, those robot bears? Maybe. All right. <laughs> I, I ask as a fan. You, you know what? I, I, maybe I did. Okay. I don't know. I, right. Who knows? It's been, what, 30 it's been years? A while. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. That is true. All right, cool. <laughs> maybe. You know, maybe. I would say that about everything. That, that'd be great. This, yeah. this I don't remember. Go by a lickety split. Uh, Scott. Yes. Uh, staying on the on the theme of '80s cartoons, uh, <laughs> because you know '80s cartoons get a bad rap, but a lot of us were watching these things, and they they had a they only get a bad rap from people who didn't see '70s cartoons. There you go. That was the lowest point. My son used to he my when he was, I don't know he's like three or four. He said, "Daddy he says I hate Super Friends." Since they're supers that just stand around and talk, they don't hit anybody. Uh, super friends is great. Um, so you worked on on a, a seminal '80s cartoon that people still reference today, Muppet Babies. Sure, uh, Disney's doing a new version. They don't want any old farts like me on it, though. Well, let's but let's let's celebrate the old fart. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, the other day, I was, I was I hip to, to an episode of Muppet Babies that had Spider Man in it. Did you have any involvement in that episode for the story? No, writing? but I did. I I did uh, the the uh, pie fight between Fozzie Bear and the Three Stooges. Nice. I did the first Classy. star. I did the first really Star awesome. Wars parody. I did the Ghostbusters thing. Um, and so, the best thing I ever that I enjoyed the most was we the studio was also doing this 
horrible show called Defenders of the Earth sure. that had all the uh, King features. Yeah, yeah, Didn't have any superheroes. We, we the closest it. thing to a superhero was the Phantom. Yeah. But they had everybody had a son or a daughter or they were a mentor to somebody, so they were hip with it kids. And that show is that show is actually on Amazon Prime right now, streaming. You oh, can watch good. it. Yeah. Well, yeah. now I can avoid it actively. Um, but anyway, the, the the writer on Muppet Babies, or one of the writers, I should say, thought that that meant that we had the rights to all Flash Gordon stuff. So we did an episode that was unusual in that the whole thing was written around one source of footage, which was one of those Flash Gordon uh, serials. We had sure. all 15 episodes we could pick from. <laughs> and I went through and, you know, boarded the thing and picked all the live action. And a couple days after I turned in the board, Bob Richardson, who was probably the best producer I've ever worked with, said... Well, uh, can you come in? Because uh, we don't have the rights for Flash Gordon for Muppet Babies. It was specifically... And in, in my mind, any idiot would know that. So I figured they'd cleared it. So he said, we can't use that movie, but here's a new movie that we have. It's... Um, and I can't remember the exact name about it, but it's a Gene Autry Western where they have an elevator that goes down to the center of the earth where this race of weird essentially aliens from the center of the earth who have cowboy robots with metal hats. And, wow. Sounds and great. <laughs> it was so ripe for going after. And they said, here, reboard it, recut it. And somebody did a polish over my script, but it was the first time I wrote for TV. And at the same time, it was like, God, I can make fun of something that is genuinely ridiculous. I mean, Flash yeah. Gordon, you have at least an iota of respect for because, you know, it was Flash Gordon. Right. But Gene Autry, he was he was a guy that, you know, I forget what he did. He, he, he owned sing. Channel 5. He owned he Channel 5 by the... Yeah, he was a singing cowboy. He was a singing cowboy. But he went into business and he owned Channel 5 in L.A. Oh. And, uh, He's got a museum. Doesn't he? Museum now, yeah, that's where the uh, Animation Guild has its holiday parties now. Over the corpse of Gene Autry. Buried deep below there. Anyway, that if you're asking about eighties in Muppet Babies, that's yeah. that was the experience that was really unusual. No, that's but, great. But the other thing I gotta say is after the first season we got Emmys. Jim, Jim Henson and Frank Oz rented out this restaurant in Beverly Hills called Ed DeBevick's. Sure. It was like one of the first oh, yeah. of those retro the 50s uh, diners places. And he rented out half the restaurant in the back room. And uh, so we all come up and we all get to meet Jim Henson and Frank Oz and Barbara Billingsley, which is such a big deal for me. And then we're going to put on a show. And without anything in front of them... Jim and Frank Oz do a whole routine between Piggy and Kermit. That's wow. awesome. No puppets? No puppets? No, with puppets, oh, but puppets. no, but nothing to obscure watching how they operate. Yeah. I like that. And it was it was a one in a lifetime experience because uh, it was like sure. it was like being in the room with Walt Disney while he made a cartoon in front of you. Yeah, you know? yeah, was, yeah. I mean, Henson was, and the thing about that show that was so great that we had so much freedom on. Usually standards and practices and networks, they want their fingerprints on every frame. This, they said, if Jim likes it, we're fine with it. So we'd rewrite scripts, we'd put whole new gags in, we'd, you know, I mean, we, it was the only Saturday morning show I've ever worked on, and I've worked on a lot of them, that I actually felt like a real cartoonist. We get those song sequences in, right. we get a scratch track of the song, come up with a minute-long sequence that works with this song. And they'd give us three weeks to do it. Right. So we had enough time for one week just to sit around and think about it and go in like with another funny cartoonist and play it 20 times. Okay, what do you think? What right. images do you get? And then we get off topic and suddenly somebody will say one word like, that's it, umbrella, <laughs> you know? And, and that's the way cartoonists work. I mean, if you have a committee, it's, it's ridiculous. But a couple of people that know what they're doing and respect each other's creativity, 
that's really great because you aren't so close to it that you see the flaws in your thinking. You know, you can yeah. kind of keep each other on track. No, that's awesome. Anyway, I'll shut up. Now. No, that's, that's <laughs> cool. um, shut up. So uh, now we're going to go almost the, the transition here is 80s cartoons into kids that were growing up watching 80s cartoons. So, Sean, All right. uh, we, we are of similar age. We were watching these cartoons. Thundercats is awesome. It was very awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. So, yes. Uh, your, your route into animation uh, relative to the panel is the, is the most circuitous, right? Like you, you, you are a guy who was drawing yes. all the time, mm-hmm. and you were doing fan art to a certain degree. Yes. Uh, and your art is awesome, and you were approached to do character designs, Hellboy yeah. Animated. Correct. A thing you had never done. Right. Character designs for animation. So I, I just want you to sort of talk about... Like, what the learning curve was. And you were, like, 14, right? 13 and a half. Wow. No, so, uh, so, yeah, what's, what's the learning curve on a thing? You know, you were pursuing cartooning, comic books and that yeah, sort of thing, so right? Yeah, my passion was comics. And then I tried to do rendered style. Stay where you are. And I tried to do rendered style. I just couldn't hang to do a page in 16 hours. Skin <laughs> cabin fever. And it was my first time doing a comic, so I had to do 16 pages 15 days with that kind of rendered style. So then... At the moment, I was like, okay, I love it, but I don't love like this. You know, so I tried to strip it back, and that's when the internet got hot. Yep. And uh, so I started posting on DeviantArt, and then, uh, so when I started stripping it back, I was going crazy with my proportions, because I didn't know what I was doing, you know. And then, uh, so, but it started getting people like J. Scott Campbell and uh, Nick Bradshaw emailed me out of the blue, saying, hey, keep doing what you're doing, nobody's doing it. But I don't think that was the real case. It's Nobody was using the internet like it was meant, you know, at that time, or you know what it was uh, capable of doing at the time. So I kept doing it, and then I kept trying to get jobs. And uh, they said, "Hey, if you can harness in a little bit that exaggeration, we can try to get you some jobs." So that's when I got my gig on DC Comics doing covers. And then, then I started learning about volumes because I had to be on model with Teen Titans Go stuff. I don't know how they kept me around for two years. It looks so terrible. I cringe every time I see those covers. Eyes floating. I don't know why I did floating eyebrows, but, but it got attention from Tad Stones, uh, leads me to Hellboy. And uh, so I got an email, and I was like, oh man, this can't be for real. He did Dark Green Duck. Yeah, he created Dark Green Duck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hello? <laughs> uh, he did voice for Buzz Lightyear also, right? He did the voice for Buzz Lightyear? No, uh, boards. Oh, boards. Oh, don't quote me. He did a lot of stuff at Disney, and yeah. he worked in other studios, but long before that. He still yeah. draws really yeah. yeah. So he emailed me out of the blue, and then so I took the test. At, at that point, I barely heard of Hellboy, uh, but they wanted me to take the test. I was sitting in borders. What was the test? Oh, to... to no, but like what was the... Oh, they, so they said design Hellboy, design Liz, okay. and design a monster. So like a rehearsal, like see, right. let's see yeah. what you got, right. like an audition. Yeah. Okay. So I drew it. It just looks so nasty. <laughs> I didn't understand volume very well, and then... But it triggered Mike Magnola to say, that's the one, because everybody else is trying to draw like Kemp. Yeah. So, right. So, uh, so they... Um, I was so Mike in, was doing the final pick. Yes. Wow. So I was living in San Diego, uh, and then, uh, so I drove up for the meeting, and then, so they went through the formalities. There was a meeting at his house in Manhattan Beach. And, but I couldn't remember, it was like, I, I rang the doorbell, and I hear, <laughs> running down the whole house. <laughs> I'm like, man, I thought it was just going to be a kid. It was like, maybe I'll open his door. <laughs> and he goes, hey, what's up? So I was like so starstruck. I even was in my car for about 20 minutes trying to suck myself down. You know, so so we were having the conversation. It was great. And then um, we were talking. He goes, so I heard you do work for these guys. I said, yeah. He's like, uh, I'm like, yeah. So who do you work for? So I said, maybe. He goes, yeah. I fired him. So, <laughs> oh, man. So it was already awkward right out the gate, you know. But um, but anyway, so I, so what the learning curve for me was, I didn't understand volume very well. In my portfolio, I never lied that I couldn't draw animals, couldn't draw monsters, couldn't draw girls. <laughs> you know, so it was a very limited portfolio at the time. Right. And then, but they took a chance on me, and I did what I could. I would go home on the weekends, San Diego, come up, 
uh, Monday mornings at 4 a.m., be in the studio and start drawing because it just took me longer to understand the process. And were you doing walk cycles and mouth charts no, and those no. sorts of things? Okay. So there was an understanding I did not know how to do turnarounds. So they had a second character designer. You also didn't know animation. <laughs> right. I right. left that part out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is why it's fascinating. Right. You so got into animation I'm like a, I'm a through a side art. door. I'm a self-taught artist sitting in borders looking at books. <laughs> and I did take a lot of drawing classes, you know, and then yeah. he learned how to draw legs. Uh, but <laughs> it's so bizarre. But he's a hard worker. Yeah, absolutely. We're all getting that. Look, there's yeah. a reason he's on the panel. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So that doesn't just happen. So throughout the day, I was like, you know, throughout the whole course, I'm not going to say names, but I saw how grouchy people were coming in the studio. And that was this chipper guy, Green. I was like, hey, good morning. And the guy was like, mm. you know, he's been at 9 o'clock, and I drove up from 4 o'clock in the morning, and it's in the studio at 7, you know, in the morning. But anyway, uh, so on the last day, Ted pulls me off, and he goes, hey, you guys take me talk? I said, yeah, sure. What's up, Ted? You know, he goes, um, want to let you know. And he closed the door, he goes, you let us down. I was like, oh, God, is that what you want to hear on your last day? He goes, you let us down. He goes, we expect you to do this, this, and this. I said, well, I'm sorry. You know, I said, my portfolio didn't have this, this, or this. And I said, you know, I came to your office when I couldn't draw a girl's face, asked for help. I said, you got frustrated, you threw your pencil down, and he said, it's like the blind man the blind. <laughs> and so I was like, I, I said, you know, Tad, honestly, you, you picked a guy that was very green. And he goes, if you want to stay in the business, you want to have to learn your terms. I said, okay, great. So I learned my terms as much as I could without anybody really helping me learn terms. Mm-hmm. So then um, I got on Boondock Saints. Uh, not Boondock Saints, I'm sorry. The Boondocks, yeah. That's our social media. I'm the hero then, right? Yeah. Uh, so I got on Boondocks, and uh, I always tell people I suck at being on model. Because I do. It's not in my brain. I can't work like that. It is, it's, a, it's a specific. I mean, I do licensing work for SpongeBob. It's a specific. Yeah. Uh, I, I suck at it too. Yeah. It, it's hard because when you're trying to draw on model, you just your drawings instantly suck because you can't put any life in them. Like if if I worked on The Simpsons, Some I'd have to kill can. myself. <laughs> like you have to, you don't have enough points on Bart's head. Well, okay, well screw you. Who cares? Yeah. You know, I I wouldn't be able to take but it. John Kay's not big on model, right? It's it, kind of an evolving model, isn't it? Yeah, but he's insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he 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 tell uh, people come up to me every day and say, oh, I heard you guys had a rule that you. Not allowed to draw Ren and Stippy the same way twice, and I says bullshit. You know, we 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 wanted to uh, let the characters grow, to have the opportunity to change them, to make them fun, and to be funnier, and all that. And we weren't sticklers for model, but yeah. that's that's an urban legend, you know. Hmm. But uh, yeah, drawing on model is hard. And what I what I do is I just practice drawing them for a long time, and when I have to do the board, I put the models away. Because if I look at them, it just screws me up. I, I'm like suddenly trying to match that. And uh, one thing I learned is that drawing well and telling a story are two completely different skill sets. Sure. And they get in the you way of a, each You could do a board with stick figures if they were yeah. accurate but, enough. And, and so uh, it, it's real easy to get caught up in drawing pretty yeah. when, when you know, you got to do structure and form and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's, always, it's always struggling. It never gets easy. That's that's yeah. why I always do all my my boards as the tiniest thumbnails I can do. Oh yeah, and that's that, right. And that With way I'm not wasting pen, right? that's thinking work. Yeah, and that is actually the the people that run the studios don't understand that is the most valuable thing we do. And they go, well, uh, you roughed the board out, but uh, you didn't do the cleanup, so we're going to pay you half. And it's like, no, you should pay me ninety percent because a chimp can do cleanups. Yeah, you know. At least part of the time. <laughs> they shit all over the boards, though. It's a problem. Uh, yeah, but they will pick the fleas out of your hair. Yeah, well, not enough. So, Tom? Now, I will yeah. say this about Cheeks here. Yeah. So, he's being humble because this guy got on the Internet after teaching himself how to draw, basically, off of books and stuff, came up with an original style that he still draws in today. It's only perfected it more. And so good that he had millions of followers back in the day. Yeah. He still does. And and got the attention of Mike Mignola, basically. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's so a great story. He's making there it sound like I had no idea what I was yeah. doing, but by himself. I'll give you a dollar later. All right. <laughs> so, now, so now, Tom, now that you are in the spotlight, uh, okay. sharing the spotlight, I want I to bring you into the fold. You are a guy who worked on features. 
yes. uh, for Disney Studios, which is, you know, in terms of the, the way the world looks at animation, Disney is, you know, the top of the mountain. Um, and you were working at Disney during a time that is often referred to as the rebirth of Disney. The, there was a documentary about yeah, it called Waking the, Sleeping Beauty. The second golden age. The second golden, golden age. Yeah. Um, so there's a few things I want I to sort of touch on here and, and get your responses mm-hmm. to. So you worked on Rescuers Down Under, mm-hmm. which has that eagle sequence. Yeah. Right? Which is I incredible. Did, did you do no, that? No, King did that. I didn't touch it. Because <laughs> my, yeah. my, my question was more like, what was it like to, to I'm imagining there was a screening or something, you were seeing footage. Like, yeah. was, was it as mind-blowing for you guys who had seen the, the, the sausage being made yeah. as it was for the rest of us who saw this thing? It was like, holy moly, that is gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, to me, that's still a highlight of that movie. It's yeah. the eagle sequence between Cody. Does everybody remember Rescuers Down Under? Okay, a little bit. Um, so that was my first feature film. And so I'm green, just out of CalArts, and I'm a, an assistant to Mark Hen, actually. So he was one of the top five animators at Disney. So I was blessed to get that position alone. But then we're seeing dailies. Dailies are actually weeklies in animation. <laughs> Every week you're seeing the rough animation that was done from the week before. And Glenn Keane, who's the, the best animator ever, um, mm-hmm. and especially at Disney, but probably in the world, um, he did that sequence. So uh, he was in charge of the eagle, but also, uh, like, whenever Cody was with the eagle, he would just do both. And so he did that whole sequence, and I think he even did the original storyboards. And it was interesting on that film because uh, something that a lot of people don't know is that uh, this was right when Disney was discovered. I mean, Disney, the studio, was discovering Miyazaki. And okay. so we literally had the Mike Gabriel and um, is it Hendo Botoy that directed Rescuers Down Under? No, Mike who did Rescuers Down Under? Now I can't remember who directed this. You'll know better I than I do. Mike you were there. And, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, yeah, so I think it was Mike and Hendo. Uh, anyway, I'm just going to say that. And sure. then they, uh, but anyway, they had us all watch Miyazaki films uh, for the pacing and for not expressions or dialogue by any means, but um, but for the just the pacing and the, and the mood that he was so great at, at creating, and like we watched My Neighbor Totoro and sure. that whole at the bus uh, stop to sequence with the big monster character and the, the little girl, and it, it was just magic. And, and that was the first time I discovered it. And anyway, that sequence with the eagle was very influenced by shots that Miyazaki. Sort of like how how can we do what Miyazaki? Which is funny, right, right. irony being is that yeah he was always trying to. To be the Walt Disney of sure. Japan, the snake eats whether he admitted or not. I mean, that was sort of his goal. Yeah. And here we were trying to copy him later on. And uh, Circle of Life. It's the Circle of Life. Which and you worked on Lion King. And I'll and start then, singing that if you want. Do it, please. Okay. Uh, and then and then you. Ah! Wow. Sorry. That's how it starts. Beautiful. That's all I know. Um. And then at some point you were working on on Pocahontas on Pocahontas, like the the yes. lead character. I so, actually worked on both. I'm I know one you, of the few that worked on Lion King. I know you worked on Lion King, on Young, young Simba, uh, which is it's almost like splitting the lead, right? Because at some point he becomes older Simba. But Pocahontas is the lead of Pocahontas. She is. Um, going, do you know who the co-star of that film is? I'm going to guess the, the little raccoon dude. No, you should say John Smith. Uh, I know. It's really, it's her hair. <laughs> hair was, the hair was great. That was the co-star. Yeah, so, so, sure. so going into that, getting getting the gig, I mean, obviously Young Simba is, is a lead gig, but is, can you talk about a little bit about the pressure of, you're on Pocahontas, the movie is called Pocahontas. Uh, well, I didn't, the nice thing with <coughs> anime the rep, The Disney rep is now, like, we've had hit after hit after yeah, hit. Yeah, I mean, it, the nice thing about both doing Young Simba and Lion King and then doing Pocahontas and Pocahontas uh, it, it was nice, obviously, and, and, and but I didn't wear all the weight on my shoulders in that Mark Henn was the supervising animator of, of Young Simba, and he designed him, and Glenn Keane was the supervising animator of Pocahontas and, and designed her, and so at least I didn't have that pressure on me. I, I couldn't even imagine. Is there pressure? Because I was only 23, 4, I can't remember right. at that time, 25, somewhere in there, and so... Having those huge characters on my shoulders and do, and now that happened later with Mushu, but um, I was certainly not ready for it at that time. Right. And so I, I just had to stress about okay, this scene came to me and I have to animate Pocahontas doing running up and stopping and her hair kind of blowing and then looking up to the, you know I mean like yeah. that's supposed to be the scene to Pocahontas <laughs> yeah. 
And, but then, houses and then, are fine. And then you're working with Glenn Keane, right? Yeah, and then working with Glenn Which, Keane was amazing and a huge honor. And literally the only time I, I ever showed a portfolio at Disney, right, was to get into Disney, of course, to get into the internship originally, right out of CalArts, and then to get onto Pocahontas. I had to show a life drawing portfolio. Every animator, Glenn said, I have to see your life drawings before I'll pick. Which oh, animators, wow. and only twenty of us got, which was a huge. That, that was a lot of animation. Sounds like a reality show. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, there was a lot of fighting and <laughs> poisoning of drinks and things. You weren't there to make friends. Yeah. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> Not here to make friends. Uh, my last Disney question. So when The Lion King came out on VHS, there was a there was a making of show that was on. I think ABC must have been. And in that making of, it talked about the fire sequence at the at the end and how Jeffrey Katzenberg was unsatisfied with it and had it redone and how important Jeffrey Katzenberg was to that movie. Wait, what movie? Lion King. Oh, Lion King. Yeah. Yeah. And then, years later, the movie Waking Sleeping Beauty comes out, tells the story of the second golden age of Disney, and Katzenberg is barely mentioned. So mm. where is he in the, in the importance of that era? I think he left right as we were starting into Pocahontas production, right. if I remember right. So... He touched Pocahontas, the story process, but not necessarily the animation. Um, not that he really oversaw animation anyway, but uh, so I know Pocahontas was near and dear to his heart in that he, he was the one that really pushed to get it made. Um, but yeah, with Lion King, um, like I said, Pocahontas was his baby right. at the time because they were both being developed at the same time. And he it's been said very widely, and I don't know if you've read this online, but... Uh, he said that Pocahontas was the hit and to all of us. Right. All the animators that were working, we were like in deadline and stuff, trying to get Lion King done, and the other ones are work, just starting work on Pocahontas. And he's like, guys, Pocahontas is a home run. That's going to be a home run. But you know what? It's okay to, get, to make it to second base on a few films like Lion King, okay? <laughs> that's fine. But Pocahontas, now that's a home run. You know, and so, and we're all just like working on it, and we're what? He just said that he doesn't really think it's gonna be good. And of course, it came out. It was huge. It was the the biggest film they've ever had, and uh, it will outlive us all. And outlive us all, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's, and I, and, and I, the I, fact that it was so successful kind of destroyed Disney for a while because the suits kept thinking, yeah. well, everything we make will be this successful. And it's like no. Lion King just happened to appeal to everyone in every culture in the world. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're right. And it, yeah, it's such a universal story. And meanwhile, Pocahontas is just about our country. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I mean, other people don't know Pocahontas. And it's, you know, I, I did not enjoy working on Pocahontas. It's not a fun <laughs> film. To work on it, some of that kind of came on the screen, I think, a little bit. Can, can I say something to what you just said? Yeah. That, that I'll allow it's it. It's not a fun fun film to work, work on. Uh-huh. Blue sky for a long time, off and on through the years, and it was never fun. It was always hell, mm-hmm. you know. And and the, but that's what you do, mm-hmm. you know. It. I mean, it's fun. It's fun being around the artists. Like the best thing about working in a big studio is you're surrounded by the most talented people on earth, all in one building. Yeah. I used to go and watch the sculptors, Mike DeFeo. Watching, you know, Mike. Yeah. Mike. He's he's the head sculptor at, at Blue, Blue Sky. sky. And he's he's uh, does all the illumination stuff now. Mm-hmm. He's he's a real artist, a real just watch him sculpt. He's know? making the maquettes, right? Maquettes, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and but just being surrounded by all that talent is is like fuel. And I'm I'm like a sponge. I'm self taught, so I taught myself by looking over people's shoulder. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It, uh, same same here. But it, it's it's if you can wangle a job where you studios now don't seem to support the idea of teaming a young guy with an old pro but for me even at a place that was grinding out such crap as we were at H&B I was working with guys that had worked on Snow White and Pinocchio who were training me and it's like getting paid to go I went to college but that was how to learn how to roll a joint and then roll a condom (laughs) I was listening kids (laughs) Hey, kids, make sure you unroll those condoms. They won't work otherwise. Um, but but seriously, it was like, God, I can pick the minds of guys 
that have forgotten more than I'll ever know. Along yeah. those lines. And they were very, very generous that way. Yeah. Along those lines, this is actually a, a perfect transition. Uh, speaking of documentaries, which is Wake and Sleep Beauty, uh, there's a documentary by Floyd Norman. Yeah. Uh, and, Scott, you are in that documentary. I am in it way too much. Uh, at these lunches, that all the animators are together having lunch. And, you know, you don't really get to hear what you guys are talking about. And I want to know, what are you guys talking about at those lunches? Uh, usually, it was like us. it was, most of us were old, old friends. I, I met Floyd Norman in 1978. He paired me with him as a layout supervisor at H&B, and I'm like... I don't know anything being, about layout. Why H- am I a supervisor? H&B being Hanna-Barbera. 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 And it was, the unspoken thing was, well, Floyd will teach you everything you need to know. But we became close buddies. And, but at, the, at those lunches, it, would, it was like a support group, really. It was like, because I was working in advertising a lot. And I was a producer at one time. At a, you know, And it's like, I had such a shitty day. Really, what happened? I'll say... Am I out of my mind that I said this? And they're like, no, no, you're not. And Floyd especially is the voice of reason anywhere in animation. He, he's not some sort of supernatural person, but I mean, he seems to know stuff that nobody would else know. Remember when Disney was crowing about how they were going to do uh, Toy Story 3? Not Pixar, and they had a new building made over there in I remember that in, yeah. in Burbank, or, and and they they had this whole thing set up. I even went over and interviewed for it, and he said it's never going to happen. How do you know, Floyd? He goes, I just know. And <laughs> and what happened? Disney bought Pixar, and then Pixar ingested Disney from the inside out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I and, Flo- and Floyd. Could, he was he was like one of those Sherpas that can read like the terrain or like see a bent leaf and or, see or oh, someone like, pass look at by stars them. and tell you what month it is. But but I mean he he has worked in the craziness of animation to a point where it's like he just he gets it more than any human I've ever met. Mm. Nice. Uh, now in terms of doc- I'm going to stick to another documentary. This coming to you, Tom. Mm-hmm. There's the documentary Life Animated. Yes. About the young man uh, on the autism spectrum who did not speak for years and began speaking uh, to his father with an Iago puppet. Mm-hmm. And you worked on Iago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just want to sort of, you know, there's, there's a lot of platitudes about, you know, there's, there's satisfaction in a job well done. There's, you're making art that will touch people. Like that is such a degree of, of touching somebody and creating an effect with your work. I just want to know what that is like for you as a creative person, as an artist, as somebody who brought a drawing to life, and that really genuinely affecting the the life of this family. Uh, if you can just sort of touch on that, it, it's interesting. And by the way, we we had that that son and his father on our podcast. It's a really special episode, and um, and we also did a wrap up with them when they got an Academy Award nomination, and, and unfortunately they didn't win it. For best documentary. It's a beautiful documentary. It's I mean, every documentary I've mentioned Netflix, so far. I think, yeah, right it now. is on Netflix. Uh, Life Animated uh, is what it's called. Yeah. And uh, I heard that story um, because when he first came out with the book, he did the, the dad had written the book, and he was a Pulitzer Prize winning author already for journalism. So he wrote this book about his adventures with his son, basically, and trying to tap back into his life that he just had kind of sunken within himself he yeah. wouldn't communicate had no emotion and all that and it was through these Disney movies and they were the gold, that second golden age of movies that he had grown up on that the, the boy had so it was all the movies that I had touched or worked on and so yeah it was really fascinating to have him on the podcast and Tony and I would talk to him about um, you know about the films and, and he had he knew them by heart. He knew yeah. every every line of dialogue, had it memorized. But he also knew the credits too. And he'd go like, "Tony, you did Bapumba and Lion King and Tom. You were doing Young Simba." And and he would just tell us what we had done. And knew every other animator. There was a few animators he really knew. He, I think he was a he drew too. So he's yeah. kind of an aficionado of aficionado of some of the animators also. And so, uh, but yeah, being able to sort of see it from that perspective. Um, on that podcast, but getting to know him and his dad, 
And like they were just, that's why they did the podcast. I mean, he, they were getting uh, news opportunities. They were in t- like time and people and like sure. they were getting all the kind of opportunities that they wanted because it was a fascinating story. The book was a bestseller and now they were going to make this documentary and it ends, it ends up getting an Academy Award nomination. But they wanted to do our podcast because we were a part of what helped them kind of tap, you know, like the first time that the dad ever heard I love you from his son was when they were acting out Baloo and Mowgli and Mowgli said, and his son was acting as Mowgli and I think he was, the dad was being Baloo. They had their roles that they play and Mowgli says to his dad or to Baloo, he says, I love you. It's one of the yeah. lines of the movie. But he said it to the dad, and the dad almost busted out. I can't imagine. Yeah. The emotion, the story is so great. Believe me, I get chills just thinking about yeah. it. As a dad, too, you know, you have to sit down and watch this and just go, "How? What would that be like if I could communicate with my kids?" Right. And, and they could communicate back, and and you know that there's something in there that they want to, but there's some block. Well, as a dad and somebody, you left Disney to pursue, you know, things that had a more personal. You know, uh, yeah. emotional core to what you were doing. So it's almost like you, you, you're getting at it to a certain degree yeah. uh, in, a, in an incredible way. I mean, it really is a tremendous so, yeah, story. I mean, yeah, short answer is yeah, it was amazing uh, to hear that story, but hear it from them firsthand and have a small piece to play within I will, that. I will go and seek that. I've been bopping around listening to your show in oh, preparation, okay. but I did not get that one. I'll, yeah. I'm going to go back. Fantastic. Um, Documentary. You're going to follow that along. There is a Ren and Stimpy documentary uh, being worked on right now. Yeah, that's um, true. Um, um, so, so let's talk a little bit about Ren and Stimpy. All right. I know you talk about it quite a bit, but if, I, yeah. if my memory serves, uh, Ren and Stimpy was you know this sort of breakout from the critique of '80s cartoons, and it became a cartoon that was board driven again, rather than script driven. Yeah, that's, that's accurate, right? Yeah. Uh, so I just want to talk about, and, and I think everybody will be able to chime in on this one, the, the distinction between a board-driven show and a script-driven show, and and the keeping it positive, the advantages more than uh, poo-pooing things. So like, what is well, what do we get from it, board-driven? It uh, and and I'm sure, Scott yes. will back me up on this. It depends on on who's doing the script and who's doing the board, uh, <laughs> and and uh, and you guys too. I. I there's there's good writers and there's bad writers, uh, and um, it, there's differences between uh, feature films and TV boards. Uh, TV boards you got to knock them out in a month, you know, uh, pays good and and you just do it, you shit it out, and get it done. And, and movies it becomes a life. You, right. know, you work on it for years and they just make you do it over and over and over till you're ready to kill yourself. There is no nurturing process in Saturday morning. It's like no. It's like a DiGiorno pizza. No, but uh, on on Ren and, Ren and Stimpy was uh, you you really have to take your hat off to Vanessa Coffee. Vanessa <laughs> Coffee is responsible for Nicktoons. Uh, Nickelodeon wouldn't be in the cartoon business if it weren't for her. She was an independent producer and she told. Uh, Geraldine Laybourne that he she needs to do cartoons and she needs to let creators run the shows their way mm-hmm. and to do do uh, 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 cartoons with vision you know and uh, she convinced uh, Geraldine to, to do do Nicktoons and we did they did Doug and Rugrats and, and Ren and Stimpy uh, so we really wanted to do uh, storyboard driven because you know that's really the way to do funny cartoons and if you have to stick to a script, the funny stops at the script. Uh, some studios are very script-driven. Uh, uh, some some studios uh, uh, are board-driven. I think Pixar is a board-driven studio, uh, and you can see it in their films. Uh, I can, most, I can, most productions, by the way, will go ahead and record the script simultaneously... Yeah. Or after the board being done, so you are, they're like, we're not going to go back in and change dialogue just because you had a good idea. Yeah, yeah, uh, some are that way, but generally they they and you're they, boarding not knowing the voice sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. So you don't know the inflection right? or the pauses or the pauses or anything like that. You're boarding it as if this person's up and happy or whatever, and, and then the person recording it comes in and gives us such a low energy performance yeah. that it's like but, doesn't work yeah but on Ren and Stimpy we we really gave the the storyboard artists a lot of power 
The storyboard artist wrote the dialogue, and they worked from a three-page outline. Uh, the we and there was no point in the production where we kept people from making it better or funnier or plussing the jokes and pushing the envelope. You know, right? Um, and uh, we we got away with a lot. Uh, did, it, really, did it feel revolutionary at the time? Did you know yeah, you, were, it was, you were changing the game? It was well. It was really weird because we just wanted we we made those cartoons for ourselves. We made the cartoons we wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, along comes this guy John Kay, who's out of his mind, and and doesn't care what people think, and is just making weird cartoons. And we connected instantly. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you know, some of the best stuff I've ever done in my life, I've done with him. Uh, but it, it was a very tough process. He isn't easy to work with. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the relationship with Nickelodeon was contentious all the time. Uh, and I was the poor sap who had to get on the phone and negotiate the jokes. Uh, but luckily, the woman who was in charge of broadcast standards and practices wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. So we'd put red herring jokes in that we knew she would cut out because this poor woman's job was to cut stuff out of our cartoon. So... One way or another, she was going to cut something out. So we'd rather put something in that we didn't care if it got cut out than have her cut out sure. story points or characters or stuff like that. Cannon fodder. Yeah, yeah but they, but she she didn't always get it, and sometimes stuff got through. Uh, but but I, 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 I'm a board artist, you know, and I, I'm a board guy. And I'm all about uh, character and I'm all about acting, and I'm all about character relationships and character dynamics. That's my thing. And uh, I, you know, any any good director will tell you you gotta you gotta sit down with your actors and you gotta workshop your lines. You gotta figure out what the subtext is to whatever's going on in the conversation. And you you can't do that typing it out the first time. You know, and if you, so, if you're stuck with a script, and and you, you have to stick to the script, it's just hell. Um, and I, I've gotten in trouble on lots of shows and, and movies because I'm like, where's where's the second act? Who's the main character? I don't know what's going on. You know, can somebody explain this to me? And I and I'm I don't know how to be tactful. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't have I'm not one of those lucky people who has uh, a control. <laughs> you know, so I, I just tell it like it is. Uh, but I fired my internal editor years ago. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, it because the thing about it is, is all I care about is making good cartoons and and entertaining people and telling stories. I'm a storyteller, sure. you know, and and that's what it's all about. Uh, and uh, it it all depends on on who who has the vision. You got to have somebody at the top with vision, and you got to have somebody who will empower the artist to create. Uh, I've worked on plenty of projects where. There was no room to push the envelope, to change things, to bring life to a character. And I'm, why should we care if somebody kills the queen if we don't build a relationship with the queen before she gets killed? Who cares? Right. We'll get another queen. You know, uh, and it, it, it's weird. But I, I've always gotten in trouble for being the guy who's going, why does this suck? Why don't we do a good movie? You know, and, 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 if, if, I, if I'm running a show, I want people like me. I want people who are going to question what I do and to remind me that I'm an idiot, you know, and that, Bob, you're not an animator, okay? Don't <laughs> pretend to be an animator. Let the animators animate, you know. And, and, and you want to hire people who are better than you. And smarter. And don't, because so many of these guys now are threatened that you know more than them. Oh, I got, and after Ren and Stimpy, I couldn't get work. I was like I was like Lazarus back from the dead. I went to Cartoon Network, where on my portfolio, people were running from me. You know, it was it was like it was like really strange, and I couldn't get work. I couldn't get work for a long time. And I I I, I was talking to uh, one of the directors on uh, um, Billy and Mandy, uh, and uh, I had worked on the, the first couple of cartoons they made, and then they picked up the show. And they said, well, the show starts, we're going to hire you. And I went back and I, I went in and talked to uh, the director. And he just looked at me like with deer in the headlights. And I'm going, you got work for me? You got work? He just looked at me, right? Like he was scared. Like I was between him and the door and he was worried, you know? <laughs> and so I went down and sit in the lobby of Cartoon Network feeling depressed. I see the great Scott Wills. You know Scott? One of the greatest painters that ever lived. Yeah. Really great painter. He comes by, hey, Bob, how you doing? I go, I don't know. I'm thinking about like 
running over my head with a car because everybody's looking at me like I'm a freak and everybody's scared of me and I don't know what's going on. He goes up and talks to this guy. He says, why did you, why did you treat Bob Camp like that? He goes, well, it's just his work is so, so Bob Camp. And I, okay, now I am going to run over my head with a car because I can't help but be who I am. Right. And, and uh, so um, it's a tough business. And uh, I don't know, anybody out here a freelance artist? Yeah, it sucks, right? Because you have work and you're stressed. And then the work ends and you're stressed. And you don't get to sleep and you're always exhausted and you're never happy with anything you do and you worry constantly. So I want to... And, and most freelance artists don't have insurance. Sure. Or, or uh, I don't have insurance. Anybody want to buy me insurance? Hello? Yeah, thank you. Thank I, you. I always say if you're going to be a freelancer, this is what I tell my students because I teach now. I say, please, mar- have a spouse that is a nurse or teacher <laughs> yeah. or whatever. I was about to that's say that. Care. Get a spouse that's got good insurance. Most animators, the, you know, the ones that are lucky, that's, that's how they do it because they have a spouse, male or female, that, that has that kind of health care that's just safe, you know, especially if they're a nurse. Oh, so I want to, I want to piggyback <laughs> yeah. on all of that. Um, and, and what you had said, Bob, about, you know, creators having a vision, being empowered to create and, and creating that sort of thing and bounce to Sean, uh, you are somebody who through the internet, uh, grew your reputation to get the work. And now you are doing things with crowdfunding, with building your own brand, with, with, uh, I wrote it down, hold on, Table Taffy. Right. Right. So I want you to talk, Table Taffy. Oh, okay. So I want you to talk a little bit about that as, because, you know, uh, there's, there's studios, there's networks, and now it keeps growing, there's streaming services, there's YouTube, and you, you are closer to that front line in terms of developing your own IP, intellectual properties, characters, things like that, and building your own brand using the more modern, newer venues for that. Right. And I kind of want to, we have like eight minutes left. All right. You don't take all eight minutes because right. then I want everybody to say where you are. In the, but sort of sort of be the future yeah, and show minutes. us where we're going. Right. Um, well, basically, like I said, my first thing was from DeviantArt, right? right? So pay attention. What people are into is the biggest thing. But then not forgetting who you are is the other balance. So trying to take what those two are and then figuring out if people are into it. But a lot of my stuff is very 80s-driven stuff, but in a modern time. You know, the, the Gotcha Man, the Bionic 6, all that kind of stuff comes through so that we still get the older fan base, but then with the newer issues, right? Um, what was the other part? It's just more of just how, how have you found the experience of, oh. of doing, whether it's crowdfunding okay. or reaching no, out no and building, right. building content without... A studio without okay. uh, the, the the systems that have been in place for so long, and the systems that are now changing pretty radically and right. pretty quickly. So what I learned from animation, you know, is that it's not one person that makes things work; it's the team. So I took that philosophy into my own stuff. So there was a point that I, I was I have six freelance jobs, got to nine, and then one month I was at thirteen. I was like, okay, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do here. So I had to make a decision: do I keep doing it myself, or turn down work, or don't answer the emails? So then I started training people around the spot. What are you good at? Okay, you're good at backgrounds. You're going to draw backgrounds. I'll do the layout. You're going to tighten it up. So then I took a whole philosophy into comics because, like I said, I stuck at being a model. So I'm not going to try. I'll design it. Three-quarter view. Boom. If you draw it, I know something's wrong. You know, so that just worked in my, my wheelhouse. Had people work in their wheelhouse. And then that's just how I developed um, the, the brand. You know, so you built you built like a, a pod little pod studio and right it's a virtual studio right yeah it's actually studio. under one roof right yeah exactly so we all work remote so my thing is I like working with people that are in different time zones so things get done around the clock sure you know you wake up give a note that's getting done while you're moving on to the other thing so while they're doing my IP stuff I'm working on work work stuff that funds the IP stuff uh, I did crowdfunding it's great uh, Kickstarter is very brutal if you have a hiccup in production. It burnt me out. I had two successful Kickstarters, but I would say if you can handle the finances, you know, then then just do it yourself. It, it's it's just the easier talk about experience. That's yeah. no, I, I find that stuff. I mean, again, I'm doing a book at Image, so that and then growing up, again, we saw Image get formed. We saw this yeah. sort of the independent voices, Mike Judge, um, the, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, like they started building these things outside of everything we knew. 
of the systems, and I, I find it interesting to see that it, it feels energetic, exciting that that stuff can happen. Now, YouTube and streaming services seem to open up the doors. Might make it also harder the more venues there are. It's the way now. Right. It really is. I, I teach too. I teach at School of Visual Arts. I teach yeah. animation storyboarding. And I tell my kids, just do it. Yeah. You know, Matt and Trey and, yeah. and of course, Mike Judge, they made Super 8 cartoons mm-hmm. and they went and showed them to people. And the cool thing about that is, is you, you set the die. You, you, your vision is complete and, and it exists and you're not going in and pitching an idea so that some half-baked executive t- can take a big hot crap all over it, you know, uh, and, and turn it into gibberish. Uh, and, and, uh, and it happens. And there's nothing worse than development hell. It's, and you, you work on something, you work on something, they change it, they change it. And by the time they tell you they decided not to do it, you hate it. And then they own it, and you can't do it. Right. Your idea is dead, and you want to kill yourself. Right. So uh, It's a lovely business animation. <laughs> Join up today. So one thing I want to kind of say is like, yeah. I've, because my piece have gotten a lot of attention, I get asked to pitch it a lot, but it's been borrowed so much that you see, should I say? Whatever you want. So the thing I want to say is don't pitch the studio. <laughs> Put out your physical content first, yeah. and then it's a proof of concept at yeah. that point, and then go pitch it because it's a public knowledge. But the thing is that they're going to borrow a little bit that made it the core, and you'll nobody will ever know because you had that meeting. So you got to protect yourself. All right. Well, yeah. I agree. I agree with that 100. In that um, we now have a distribution system that we bring around with us. Right. We don't yeah. have to have the middle. Now we're making it sound like it's easy. It's not. No. And if you're young and just out of high school or even out of art school. Most likely your ideas are horrible and you're not very talented. And, you know, so you may not be quite ready to make your own hit show. I'm just saying, just making a show doesn't mean you have a hit show. But, uh, but some of you do. And if there's somebody that's a student within your class, say, at art school, and they have it. And some of them do, right? You know mm-hmm. the ones that have it. Mm-hmm. And they maybe even have good ideas. Or maybe they don't have good ideas, but they're super talented. Team up with those people and say, I have a great idea. What do you think of this? And pitch them. And if they get excited, now you have a team. So build teams based on what you're good at. And, and if you're not good at everything, like writing the story or even coming up with the idea, then glom onto the guy that does have yeah. a great idea yeah. and start working with him and apply what you're good at. I, I, That's how it can happen. I tell my students day one, I say, okay, uh, who's an artist? Raise your hand. I'll go, okay, look around. See all these people in the room? They're your family now. And you have to know them for life, and you have to share what you do, and you have to help them, and they have to help you. And people take advantage of artists, so you have to look out for one another. Mm-hmm. So you're all family now. Get to know each other because you're going to work together for the rest of your lives. That's awesome. rule one. Rule two, no more lies. Honesty only. Uh, everything that's wrong in the world is because of greed and dishonesty. And artists have a superpower. You can communicate with people on a subconscious level. You can make people friggin' cry, and they don't even know why they're crying, but you did it. Because you have a superpower. Superpowers come with responsibility. Ask Spider-Man. He'll tell you. You have a superpower. You have to do good work with it. So now you have a superpower. You can communicate with people on a subconscious level. You have to do something right. Everything you say with your art has to be honest and come from the heart and do anyone no harm. And you have to do good things and change the world for better. Mm. I tell them. And I say it's rules. If you want to be an artist, these are things you have to do. If you don't want to do those things, you can... You can you know, go do something else. Go, like, put tires on cars or something. I think that's, you know. that's Can I perfect. take your class, Mr. Can? <laughs> sure think, you yeah. can. Sure. I think that's a perfect way to, to bring this thing for a landing. We're at an hour. If we can just come down the road, tell everybody where you are. It's the last day of the show. Uh, and just uh, tell people what, what what to find at yep. your table. And uh, we'll close. We'll wrap okay, this Okay. Uh, again, I'm Scott Shaw. I'm at table 719. I've got prints of my art and characters. I've got... Uh, original art, I'm doing commissions for people, characters I've worked on, and I've got a, a, a ton of unsold graphic novels I wrote starring Annoying Orange. So, Annoying uh, Orange. And you guys are of an age where did you, you probably you, know who Annoying Orange did you, is. Did you work on the show with Ken Mitchell? I worked on the show with Ken and Floyd Norman and Mike Cazala. We had a great team. What a great team. Yeah, and you know what? Mike Cazala impersonation. Floyd made the smartest thing comment, <laughs> as usual. He said, we've worked on a lot of annoying shows, but I like this one because it tells it right up front. <laughs> and we had a lot of freedom on that show because that show exists 
to piss off parents. <laughs> it's it's like this generation's rat thing. Yeah, Ren and Stimpy was kind of that way too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like there's nothing obscene, but it makes parents nervous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hi. Uh, what he said. Uh, I got a tape. Uh, uh, oh, it's nine six oh nine. I think it's it's. Uh, I'm I'm at the other end of the little island with Steranko, so you can find me over there by him. Uh, and <laughs> Steranko, he's an interesting guy. Do a panel with him. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, I I uh, I have prints. I I'm doing sketches for people. I've got real animation cells used on the show, all hand painted by underpaid slave labor in foreign countries. Uh, I have, and it's the nature of the business we work in. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I tell stories, and I make people sing songs. Mm, right. Because why not, right? That just scared half the crowd off. I know, right? So come, come by yeah. and see us. Yeah. Oh, and, and uh, I have a Facebook page called Bob Lab Studios. And you can come there, and there's a store, and you can tell stories or post pictures. And you can walk around going, Bob Lab, Bob Lab, Bob Lab. And people think you're nuts. Okay. Awesome. I'm at table 405, and right next to this guy, unfortunately, and uh, got lots of prints and books for sale, and I'm doing sketches for people too. And it's a Sunday sell, so I got Sunday sales going on. Boom. Yeah. Me too. Me too. So table 404. Got my art books, prints. uh, Give you a sneak peek at my new comic coming out in July for my creator own stuff called Shadow Pirate. It's got a good interview in it. Oh, yeah, I interviewed uh, this guy. Oh, what? Yeah. I just uh, wrote blah, cool. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm at, I'm at 1125 uh, with my books and uh, original SpongeBob comic art. Uh, I want to thank this panel for uh, sharing your stories, your knowledge, and your, uh, your honesty, following the rules yeah. that Bob Those just laid out for us. Uh, thank you all so much. Thank you all for being here. <laughs> Thank you again to all the panelists, Scott, Bob, Tom, Sean. Apologies again for the audio levels, but it's very possible you got used to it. And by me mentioning it again, it's just bringing it all back and reminding you of it. And I apologize for that. So many apologies. Let's flip the apologies with some thanks. I want to thank the awesome team at HeroesCon, Andy Manzel and Matthew Tyndall in particular, for their help organizing the panels and getting me the audio, respectively. Andy organized the panels. Matt got me the audio. I also want to thank Andy Suriano, who offered some very good, very helpful advice in advance of uh, this panel, advice that helped me frame my approach and the kinds of questions I asked uh, differently than I originally intended. And I think that change uh, worked to the benefit of the panel and the tone and the kinds of conversation and questions and answers and and everything about that. So thank you, Andy, for your insight and uh, gentle nudging. Um, Some more episodes on the way, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, likely this month. So keep your subscriptions live. Uh, Speaking of episodes, all past episodes of this show, going all the way back to the very beginning, are, uh, live, are, they live at StuffSaidShow.com. And at StuffSaidShow.com, you can email me, you can, uh, if you'd like, donate through PayPal to support this show and the episodes that that I'm putting together. You can, there's show notes in in old episodes. I used to really get into the show notes. I don't do it as much anymore. I'm sorry. Anyway, there's that. You can also sign up from a mailing list there, uh, which I covered earlier as well. The theme song for Stuff Said is composed and performed by Craig Chin. You can find his internet presence at rudeanagrams.com, R-U-D-E anagrams.com. And for more about me, you can follow me on Twitter at my name, G-R-E-G-G-S-C-H-I-G-I-E-L. And check out HatterEntertainment.com. H-A-T-T-E-R Entertainment.com. That's about all the stuff I have left to say. See you next time.